So what we did was we asked you to submit questions, and I guess you brought them last Sunday morning or got them into Aaron. And so we put that together, and I had our secretaries at the church uh, put them in a booklet for you because I thought you needed to write some things down. You may not write everything down I say, but there'll be a verse that I might quote. Just write that down. You might hear a comment that I say that might be helpful to you in that situation. Write that down. This booklet is for you to keep in your Bible so you can go back and try to work through some of those things when these problems come up because they will. There's there's lots of people out there. There's a lot of people out there claiming to be Christians. There's a lot of people that claim to follow Christ, but they're very much in the world. They've given their lives over to all kinds of immorality things. You're going to come up against this the rest of your life. And so, so a lot of these questions were excellent along the line. A lot of the questions were, how do I keep walking his way? They're formed in different ways, but they really come around that whole thing. How do I have Bible study? How do I stay in the Word? Those type of things. So we're going to try to answer that tonight. All right, but we'll have to be attentive because i got to move. There's already a money line going on on how many questions I get through. <laughs> I, I'm going from 41, all right? So um, let's, let's shoot to get through these, okay? And these are just in no, no particular order. They're just given, and we just put them just out the way they came to us, and we just wrote them down here and put them in front of, for you. So no, question number one, how do I overcome self-doubt about my salvation? Well, doubt is, is the result of two main things. I really want to deal with this tonight quickly. Um, first, doubt is because of sin. If you're a Christian and you're meddling in sin, I promise you, you will start to doubt your salvation after a while. And you should. You really should. That's what, as a, as a Christian, sin should cause us to start to think, wow, man, I say I follow Christ, but I'm, I'm hooked on this whatever. This idol's in my life. So, listen... If, if you have doubt, there's first major reason is there's probably, well, I, let me put it this way, unrepentant sin. You're not dealing with it. You're dismissing it. You're blaming it on somebody else. You're not dealing with sin. And so that will cause great doubt. Okay, so that's number one. The other thing, and this question, I probably answered this question more times than almost anything in my ministry through the years. Because it's a, it's a good question. It's common. The other thing that can cause doubt is works. Particularly works of righteousness that you think that you're doing. And so that kind of gets into legalism a little bit. So when you think that you can... Um, that God's happy with you because you do certain things and you look down at other people or you're trying to come to God in some way on your own and you're not leaning constantly on the grace of God in life, you will get doubts because you can never measure up to what God asks us to have. God says, if you don't come in perfect righteousness to me, you don't come. So we gained Jesus Christ's righteousness through salvation, right? So, so now we don't depend on our own righteousness. Now, now let's make it clear. Once we receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that motivates righteous living, right? right? Righteous living is living God's way, living a right way according to God. So God, Jesus Christ gave, remember, imputation, we talked about this. God takes our sin, gave it to Jesus, he died for it, and gave us his righteousness. So once I receive his righteousness, it's foolish to try to say, well, God, you have to accept me because I did all these things. Well, that will just confuse you and it will cause doubt. You can never do better than, than the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So two things that cause doubt. And, and I'm sure somebody, you know, somebody asked that question in here, but there's probably a dozen, two dozen, maybe all of you that struggle with doubt at sometimes. Sin will make you doubt. Confess it. Confession says, God, I did this. 
Repentance says, I'm turning from it and I'm going the other direction. You have to deal with sin that way, otherwise you'll doubt. And then the other end is, quit offering your works to God. He accepted Jesus as on your behalf. Now let His righteousness help you live a godly life. Okay? Good, good question. Um, I'm trying to see what I wrote down for my answer here. Uh, one more thought on that is, is when, it come, when it comes down to uh, doubt, most of the time it's because we believed our own thoughts. Your own thoughts are very dangerous at times. You have to learn to believe the Bible. Your own thoughts will deceive you. Sometimes you will see your sin so grand and, and you'll think, there's no way God loves me. But if you're truly his son or his daughter, he does love you. You have to believe the Bible that God made you righteous and blameless. But you also have to believe the Bible that you need to deal with sin. Some people say, well, I'm saved. I walked out. I prayed the prayer. I'm in. I believe in Reformed theology like Riverbend teaches. And I'm in. I'm, I'm saved. Once saved, I'll just live any way I want. Well, that's pretty foolish. Because that actually shows you're probably not saved. And we'll deal with that on another question. So, you got to believe the Bible. Believe the Bible. Um, and trust in Jesus' finished work, not your own. Number two. When Christ said it's finished on the cross, what still had to, to be completed by him raising from the dead? That's a great question, whoever asked that. When Christ said, it is finished. Remember, he's hanging on the cross. His last words that we hear from him, it's finished. He cries that out, right? Well, what still had to be completed, and why did he have to be raised from the dead, I think is, is the question. Well, turn your Bibles to Romans 4, verse 25, and let me give you an answer while you're turning there, and then I'll use this verse to prove it. Everything that we have done, past, present, or future, was put on Jesus Christ on the cross. So you must understand that. At the cross, he died for your sins. He died for your past, present, and future sins. The resurrection is proof that that happened. See, if Jesus never gets out of the grave, how do you know he beat your sin? You wouldn't know, right? And and there are some religions, you know of them. (laughs) They do this kind of stuff sometimes. And what do they have on their cross? They still have a crucified Jesus on that cross. And what that, that's a combination of bad theology. One, that everything is put onto the suffering of Jesus and not, and, and not the finished work of Jesus. We believe that was finished on the cross. Christ was taken off that cross, put in a grave. He was raised out of that to prove that God forgave your sins. Not just your past, not your present, and, but even your future sins. So when he comes out of that grave on Sunday morning, resurrected Sunday morning, it's a victory dance in a lot of ways. In fact, boy, we could have a lot of fun with a lot of stuff here, and I don't have time. I've got to keep going. Um, in 1 Peter, it, it, Peter talks about that the Lord Jesus Christ went down to the abyss during the day before, between his crucifixion and his resurrection. And you know what he does down there? It's a fascinating passage. Very difficult, but not if you work at it, you can understand it. He went down and told them, I beat you. He told the demons that were thrown in there in Noah's days, I beat you. And then he went back up and God gave life to his body because Jesus' spirit did not die. You can't kill God. But his body died for us. His life came back in his body and he comes out of that grave victorious over our sins. Now look at uh, Romans 4.25. He was delivered over... Because of our transgressions. So he had to die because of our sins. And look at this. 
and was raised because of our justification. Because God justified us, he raised him from the dead. It's the result. We, hey, look, you cannot teach the death of Christ without teaching his resurrection. Because that's what the Catholics teach. That's what a lot of religions teach, that Jesus died on a cross. They all teach that. But then they say, you've got to do this, and you've got to do that, and you've got to do this in order to gain salvation. We say, no, Jesus did it all, and God proved it when he came out of that grave. When he came out of that grave, your sins were beat. Completely. We stand justified because Jesus got out of that grave. If he doesn't get out of that grave, you have no hope that your sins are really forgiven. You're in a lot of trouble, aren't you? We love the resurrection. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday, every time we preach the gospel. So don't miss that. Three, how do you grow in your study of the word and faith without starting a checklist uh, a checklist faith, uh, something like that. So I understand what you're trying to say, whoever wrote this. Um, well, let me, let me answer it this way. Is Christ worthy of your time? I mean, let's just think about it. I, I know what your person's asking here. Whoever's asking this is saying, you know, I want to I wanna be faithful of my Bible study and my quiet time, but I don't want to turn into like, check the box, I did it. Well, you have to have a greater motivation than that, don't you? Because it'll run out. And maybe it's already run out for you. Maybe you're just a camp. You got home Friday night and you've not even read your Bible since. It might be somebody in this room. Or you've kind of already starting to slough off on it. When you said, I'm going to read my Bible every day at camp. Well, there's got to be a greater motivation than that. And what I'm telling you here is, is Christ worthy of a few minutes, let alone a few hours a week? Is he worthy? You have to answer that question. Is he worthy? Of that. And if you're a believer in here, you go, well, of course, Pastor Scott, he is worthy. I know he is. Well, that see, that has to be the motivation of why you read your Bible. You have to see him glorious. When, when I read my Bible in the mornings, I have an expectation when I open it. I'm looking forward to what I'm going to learn. Man, what am I going to learn today? I'm in the middle of the kings of Israel in the Old Testament. I'm in Matthew in the New Testament as I read through the Bible every year. That's just what I do. I read through the Bible every year. And I have a little checklist. There it is. You can see I'm five weeks ahead. Because sometimes I get so excited I've got to keep reading. <laughs> so I'm five weeks ahead on my year reading. But I check the little box. You see that? Can you see that? That's checked, isn't it? But guess what? I still love Jesus and it's not a legalistic thing. Because I'm expecting, I can't wait to get in the Bible in the mornings to see what God's going to tell me. What does he have for me? What king in the Old Testament is actually going to tear down the Baals, the idols, and, and, and kill off all the bad guys? Because that's what happens. And then what king's going to say, no, we're going to live like, like Satan, and we're going to worship Baals. And, and, I mean, I, I want to see who those people are, because it's just the same today. There's people that rise up in, this, in Christianity, and they stand for God, and there's people who rise up and don't. And so when I read that, I'm kind of looking, wow, nothing's really changed. But it's fun to kind of read through these battles that are going on. And, and then I get to the New Testament, and I'm in Matthew, and it's my Lord. And he's, he's been born and promised and born, born of a virgin. And his parents had to flee with him to Egypt. And, he, and, and then he comes back, and he, and he meets John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, this is, this is what I've told you of. I'm not even worthy to unloose the strap of his sandal. And, and the story's just getting better and better. So I can't wait to get in the Bible. Is he worthy to read about? And so I think that's how you answer that. Otherwise, it will be a bit legalistic at times if you're just doing it because you have to. 
remember my saying, I always say this, we don't, get, we don't have to do it, we get to do it, right? I say that a lot in church. And I want you to grasp that. You get to study your Bible. Um, one other thought on that um, is that there's nothing wrong with practicing. There's nothing wrong with practicing. And sometimes, listen, it is, you have a lot going on. I don't know what you do as a teenager, but I'm sure you do, because I was a teenager at one time. I think that question got asked me. Um, I'm sure you're busy and you have a lot to do. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, responses to Facebook you got to get back to. Got a whole day of that or whatever it may be. You're, you're busy. And, but you need to do, there is practice to do something well, right? I, I didn't, you know, step out of high school when I got, believed God was calling me to the ministry and start preaching right away. In fact, it was over 10 years later after I felt the call to the ministry that I preached my first sermon. I mean, where I really start preaching in church. I mean, 10 years. But there was a lot of practice that went in. I had to learn to study the Bible. I had to learn to believe it for myself. I had to learn to be a part of it. So there is practice. You know, the, the great athletes of the world didn't just walk out and say, oh, I'm great. They practiced. They practiced. And so there is a little bit of practice to that. So discipline yourself. Get up in the morning um, or in the evening or whatever works for you and find a time to read the Bible. Spend time in it. For I am not doing very good here. How how do you share the gospel with someone who doesn't want to hear it? Man, these are just great questions. Let me say this: You better love Christ and His Word. That that's the only way. You know, there's a lot of people that don't want to hear the Bible. They don't want to hear it, and they already have their opinions of the Bible, right? So how do I how do I share Christ, share the gospel with someone who doesn't want to hear it? Well, first of all, love Christ and His Word so much. And in a loving way, don't compromise. I want to explain that. You have a friend who you want to share the gospel with, but they don't want to hear it from you. So what are you going to do? Share it with them anyway? They don't want to hear it? Well, here's the answer. You love Christ and His Word and walk His way and don't compromise. Many, many times throughout my life, I have been asked what I believe, not because I was preaching to somebody... But because I lived different, and they said, hey, dude, what's, what's, what's with you? Why are you that way? Why are you not sleeping with all these girls? Why are you not doing all this? Why are you not doing that? Walk with the Lord and don't compromise. And if God's going to save that friend of yours, he's probably going to use your life to do that. Don't compromise. It's the biggest problem in Christianity. We compromise too much. We say stuff from the pulpit. We say stuff in a small group. We say stuff at Bible study. And then we go out and do the opposite. And guess who's watching? The unbeliever. And they go, well, look, he's just a hypocrite. She's just a hypocrite. Don't compromise. Walk with Jesus. And when you do compromise, be quick to confess that and repent of it. And you may have to tell your friend. They say, you know, you asked me about my life with Jesus. And the other day, I said something that was very unkind and that's not who my Jesus is. And I want to let you know that was wrong. And I want your forgiveness because I wasn't modeling Jesus for you. See, that's, that's, that person's going to go, what, who are you? Are you from another planet? Because the world doesn't do that, right? That's modeling Jesus. That's walking with him. What a great question. Five, the world affects, the world affects so much of my daily life that is very hard. Is there anything... 
that helped you at the ranch with other worldly cowboys. So, so yeah, my life was a un unique. I rode with a lot of godless cowboys. Who, um, but I think that's true of anything. If you go work at Target, you know, or wherever, you're going to work with people who don't love the Lord Jesus. And, and they may act really good in front of a customer, but as soon as that customer's gone, they're going to swear and lie and cheat and do all kinds of things, right? So we all live in a world, a fallen world, right? But here's what, what I would encourage you to do. We'll ask God to give you the answer to number four. <laughs> Say, God, help me see you worthy as living in front of those people. Your friends are watching you, kids. They're watching you. They're watching how you handle the difficulties that are in your life. They're watching how you handle tests at school. Do you cheat like everybody else? They're watching how you perform on the ball field. They're watching how you get in your groups and gossip about somebody else. They're watching all of that. You know, it's not very hard to be different in this world. It is not very hard. This, you guys know this. You, some of you seniors and juniors told me about your life a little bit this last week and what you have to deal with. And I was like appalled because I think things are getting worse when I hear some of this stuff. And I thought, man, these kids get put up with some stuff that even I didn't have to deal with back then. And so, but I, I would say the same things I said to my own boys. Have your mouth speak in a way that worthy of God. Speak, let things come into your mouth that's worthy of God. If you just do that, then that means you don't cuss, swear, use the Lord's name in vain, gossip. That's probably the biggest problem with Christians. Is, oh, I don't use the Lord's name in vain, but we talk about her all the time in the bathroom. You see, just ask God to capture your mouth. Lord, help me not to cuss, swear, use your name in vain, and help me not to slander other people. And when somebody does, you say, hey, hey, you know, that person's not here. We probably shouldn't talk with them about that. It's okay to do that. All right? So it's real easy to stand out, even in a difficult world, right? Um, and I think one of the problems is, is with what happens, and it happened in our day too, is we saw a lot of young people try to missionary date. And it isn't just, you know, a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship. Sometimes guys want to hang around with unsaved guys all the time, and they think that they're going to win them over. It doesn't happen. Usually, they have a greater effect on you. So you need to be careful. You need to choose your friends and how much time. Now, I'm not saying don't spend time with the unsaved. I mean, they need us, right? We carry the greatest message in the world. But who are your best friends? Who do you spend time with? Who has the most impact on you at your age? Is it a Christian friend or is it an unsafe friend? So, so you have to learn to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and I get, let me tell you guys, this is going to cost you. It's going to cost you relationships. People are going to go, oh yeah, they're weird. I don't want to be a part of them. And that's okay. Jesus knows that. There's no better friend than Christ. Right, And sometimes there's times we go through life and that's maybe all we have. But can you have a better friend than Jesus? Six, what helps you put Christ before other things? Well, that's a hard one, isn't it? He, some whoever wrote this said, it's hard. And I, I really do appreciate their honesty because uh, they're, they're telling me that, yeah, I'm struggling with this. And I, I appreciate that whoever wrote this. So I said in my notes as I answered this and thought this day, I worked all day on kind of answering these questions. I said, yes, it's hard. And here's why it's hard, kids. Because it takes self-denial to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. Right? 
it, it takes a tremendous amount of self-denial to be a Christian. We have to deny ourselves. When you wake up in the morning, remember we talked to us at camp? You're really selfish right when you wake up, right? I go to the bathroom, I need coffee, um, whatever else you need. You got to think all the things you have to do, right? We're just naturally selfish people. So following Jesus Christ is a life of self-denial. I have to learn to say no to what my, my flesh wants sometimes. My flesh wants me to think about me all the time. Me, 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 me. And some of you are me monsters. You're just, you're just me monsters. Your parents know you're a mean monster. Your sister or brother knows you're mean. All you do is think about yourself. Well, that's not Christianity. And that's why it's hard because once God saves us, now we wrestle. We wrestle with our flesh at times. But we're, we're, we're told in Colossians chapter 3 to put that to death. Now, put those things to death through Jesus Christ. Start to kill those things off. Lord, I don't want that anymore. And it is hard. And I, and I understand um, that it's hard. But let me ask you a question. Is it hard to love Jesus? Is he? Let me say it this way. Is Jesus a hard friend to love? I want you to think about that. You may be a hard friend to love. <laughs> Because you're a me monster. But is Jesus really, truly a hard friend to love? I mean, you, if you say yes, you're saying that Jesus is hard to love. If there's anybody easy in the world to love, it's Jesus, right? He's the perfect friend. He's perfect. He's done everything for you. He's given you everything you need. And, and so let me, when I start to answer this question, when we think about this, do you love Jesus? That's where it all starts. Is he my friend? Remember, we gave that illustration. If he walked through the doors here and he came in here, who would he come sit next to? Who would he know because they've been spending time talking and praying to him and reading about his life story and his power and authority? Who would he say, oh, yeah, hey, there's my buddy. Him and I have been talking every day. I'm going to go sit with him or her. Or who does he walk in and says, I don't know you or you or you. We've never had a conversation. See, when we think about these hard things, hard, hard to put Christ first, we have to think about how much we love Jesus. You will, I promise, to, you'll, you'll get out of this session, you'll go, yeah, Pastor Scott's right, we talked about it at camp, we've got to crush these idols and keep on our life, and tomorrow that idol's just waiting for you to wake up. They're like, hey, come on, get up. I'm ready for you to serve me. I want, I want your heart. Come on, wake up. Let's start thinking about us. Let's start thinking about what we want. See, when you get a friendship with the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to please Him, right? When you have a good friend, you love that friend. You love to be with that friend. You want to be with Him. So, yes, it's hard. It's hard to put Christ first. But it's a life of self-denial. But Jesus is not hard to love. And what He does um, and has done for us makes it really easy to love. Let me show you a verse. Because I, I, I have verses for every one of these, but our time, I'm never going to make it. I have such great expectations. But look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 through 15. Somewhere along the line, somebody asks us some good verses to memorize in these questions. And that, that will be one I can, I, I'm going to answer quickly. But this, this would be a great two verses to memorize. If you answer, ask that question or you're going, yeah, I want to start memorizing scripture, here's a couple to remember. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us. Your, your translation may say compels. Uh, the Greek word is a driving force. 
So the love of Christ is a driving force in my life. Is it in your life? Is the love of Christ a driving force? Look what he says. For the love of Christ is a driving force to us. Having concluded this, after we've, we're controlled and we're compelled by Jesus as a driving force, here's what we conclude. That one died for all of us. That's the Lord Jesus. Therefore, all died. We died with Christ. When Christ died, we died. That's the mark of a, of a Christian. Verse 15. And he died for all. Now, here's the great clause here. So that. Now, what, what is this going to mean? If he died for us and died for all of our sins, what does that mean? The so that tells us. Look at the verse. Verse 15. So that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Oh, see, there's the problem. We wake up in the morning and what we do is we live for ourselves. What if you got up tomorrow morning and you say, Lord Jesus, today, I'm just asking for one day, Lord. Will you help me live for you? And what if you do that the next day? Tomorrow's Thursday. And you wake up and you say, Lord... Your love is compelling me to live for you today on Thursday. And Friday you get up. And that's the first thing you do when you start to wake up. You start to get conscious because pretty soon, remember, the me monster's wanting, wanting the position, right? So you have to, before the me monster gets awake, you've got to begin to say, Lord, your love is compelling me to live for you today. What if you did that on Friday? And then you did it on Saturday. And please do it on Sunday. <laughs> because that makes church really sweet when people come to live for Christ. See, see, you have to break old habits. And as Christians, you have the power to do that. You don't have to give in to the me monster that lives within you. And notice it says this. We'll finish the verse. With, so, that you will know, you might, so that they who live, that's those who died with Christ, are now alive. So you're alive in Christ. Might no longer live for themselves. But for him who died, and here's that question, remember, about the resurrection, and rose again on our behalf. So we live for a resurrected Savior. Are you living for Him? Or will the mean monster take you over tomorrow? I want you, can you remember that term, mean monsters? You guys have used that, haven't you? Is that too old? Um, is that our generation? I don't know where I got that. Mean monsters are just, that's who we are if, if we don't walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Number seven. Man, we are rolling here. Uh, uh, you guys asked two good questions. Do you have any advice for personal time with God? and getting the most out of our studies. Any practical techniques to use in devotions? Thank you. Um, I kind of answered that a little bit, but let me, let me just give you a little bit more. Read with understanding. Okay, so I read through the entire Bible every year of my life. But guys, I, that's what I do, okay? I study the Bible. That's what I, they pay me to study the Bible and teach it. That's what I do. You may not be able to read through the Bible for understanding right now. But whatever you choose to read, read with understanding. Look at the book of John real quick because I want to show you something. And this, might, this will answer a couple of our other questions. John, just look at John 1. And remember, we always should have our swords with us, right? Our Bibles, we always should have them with us. Guys, gals, get a Bible, bring it to church. Get a Bible, get a Bible, get a Bible. Get a paper Bible. <laughs> Write in it. It'll help you because your phone ones are so distracting. And I know the phone's okay. There's nothing wrong with looking at the Bible on the phone. But if a text comes in, you see the text, and then you lost what was going on. So get a paper Bible, okay? It's good. It's all right. And don't, you know, people might think you're weird, but I don't. Um, so notice in your Bible, it's kind of broken up. Let me look at yours, Caleb. Okay, you don't have it open. 
Did I say first John? John. We're going to John, not first John. I might have said it. If you look in your Bibles, there's sections, right? So I'm, I just turned up a look. There's parable to the to the debtors. Ministering women, parable of the sowers. You notice that your Bible is broken up. Did your guys say that? There's, do you see that? Maybe just read a section like that. So if you're reading John chapter one, you're gonna you're gonna start with in the beginning God. Excuse me. In the beginning, the Word was with God. The Word was was God. Right. You're gonna you're gonna start with that, and then it's gonna go all the way down to that you're not saved through bloodlines or or um, any of your own works, but through God who saves you. There's a section of 13 verses. In that first section. If you look at John 1. Are you guys looking at it? See that section? Just read that. <laughs> and, and there's so much truth in that. I promise you've read it a hundred mornings in a row. You would get something new out of it each time. That's how, in, that's how depth the, the depth of the Bible is. So just take, take on that. Now let me, let me give you another thought. Ask God to help you. Right? If you just open your Bible and you're half asleep and, and you're just doing this because Scott was in youth group last night and told you to do it, um, you're probably not going to get much of any beginning, you know, anybody, the word was with, the word was God and was God and was with God or whatever. You know, I don't know what that means. On to the next one. Ask the Spirit of God to show you what the Bible says. You know that's the Spirit of God's job? Do you know that's the role of the Trinity, uh, of the Spirit in the Trinity, to take the things of God and share them with you? One of the things I did a long, long time ago, I'm, I am not the sharpest stick in the, in the box. Um, I got through high school, kept my grades up so I could stay on the ball field, period. I went and played college baseball and basketball and stuff. Then I went to Bible school, and I was, I'm not the sharpest stick, right? But I asked God a long, long time ago to help me understand His Word. I asked him, and I asked him that every day for days and days and days in a row. And he took this dumb cowboy, dumb athlete, who didn't do great in school, who was dyslexic. I would turn, I can still, Gina will watch, I'll flip words around all the time. I was just dyslexic all the way through school. And look what he has done with me. I teach for a living now. I teach seminary. And that's not anything to do with me. What I'm trying to tell you is I asked the Spirit to help me understand the Bible. And guess what the Spirit did? He helped me understand the Bible. So, kids, ask God to help you. Before you read your Bible, say, God, will you help me understand this? And help me apply it to my life. James chapter 1 says this, verse 5 and 6. You can write this down. But if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. Well, Pastor Scott said to ask, so I'm going to ask. I really don't believe this is going to happen, but I'm going to ask. Well, you're just like a bobber out on the sea, just floating around. You know, who knows, you might end up in Japan. See, if you lack wisdom, ask. I read this verse over and over, and I asked the Lord to give me wisdom. Years and years ago, I still do that all the time. With At least once a week, I said, God, I need your help. I need wisdom to understand this text. I need wisdom to teach this. I need wisdom in this counseling. The Bible says you lack it because you don't ask. So I see kids, and they come to me and say, oh, I just don't get much out of my devotion. Adults do the same thing. Did you ever ask God to help you? Or did you just start reading? He wants to help you. He saved you. 
Don't you think he wants to help you understand what his word says? He loves to do that. The Spirit loves to shine the truth of God's word into your heart. He loves to do it. Ask him. Say, Spirit of God, will you shine the truth of God's word into my heart so I'll understand what this passage means. And I, pr- I promise you, great things will happen. Start in the book of John. This might answer a couple of questions. Start in the book of John. Just take those sections and start reading them. First chapter is called Prologue. First 18 verses, the prologue. It is one of the greatest statements of Jesus Christ, those 19 verses. And then all of a sudden, it makes this phenomenal statement that Jesus is God. He has life in His hands. He has grace and truth. He's actually the, the perfect example, perfect representation. He's the, he is the explanation of God. That's that first 18 verses. And then it launches into His life to prove those first 18 verses. So that's how you come at the book of John. You go, wow, if the rest of this book is like these first 18 verses, this is going to be good. And of course he goes on and man, he's healing sick and casting demons out and, and he ends up dying for you and coming out of the grave. I mean, it's the greatest story in the world. There's no greater. Read it. Read it for yourself. Tell your friends what you're learning. Man, today I read about Jesus and there was a, there was a mute man. He couldn't speak or, or hear and God healed him. Can you imagine what that would have been like? And, and talk about, wow, man, I watched him go to the cross. And, and he's, on, he's, he's in the garden and, the, and they come and they arrest him. And, and everybody leaves him and he goes and he's judged alone. And he makes his way to the cross by himself to die for our sins. Tell your friends what you're learning. Hey, the Bible comes alive when you ask God for wisdom to understand it. You can do this. Read Genesis 1 through 11. You, if you can understand Genesis 1 through 11, it'll open your eyes to the entire Bible. God's perfect, has a perfect creation. Man rejects him and falls. God still promises to save him despite his total rejection. Yet man goes into rebellion, so God judges the world, but saves those who will come through one door. Jesus Christ says, I am the door, and John, right, comes through one door, he saves him. Man still rebels and builds towers, and and yet God promises to take a nation and take a people that will trust in him, and he'll make them like the seas, the sands of the seas. If you can get your mind around those first 11, 12, 12 chapters of Genesis, great place to start. Creation, fall, flood, judgment, promise. God promises to save. Those are great things, all right? What did you shoot on Thursday? 79. Nine. Um, how, do, how, uh, how can you go against abortion to an unbeliever who stands for it? Wow, good, good question, guys and gals. Um, listen, pro-choice, pro-choice people need a Savior to give them eternal life. See, they don't care about life. They've proven that. They don't think, they don't think about life. And so they're not thinking about eternal life. And so pro, pro-choice people need a Savior to give them eternal life. See, that's the primary goal. But you have to realize these unsaved people, particularly that come out against these very, boy, anti-Christian things, we're about life, right? They're dead in their sins. And, and, and the goal to deal with them is to show them that there is a life, there is true life, that Jesus Christ is the giver of life. John chapter 1, if you get into that, verse 3 says, Jesus says, I am the life and the light of men. And so what you have to do is, is not think that you can convince them, but you give them the word of God and you, and you tell them that God is life. God gives life. He said that. And so I can't do that. I can't support what you're doing. 
You know, the Bible tells us that. And, and so we, we believe these things. The, the, Psalms 139, one of the most beautiful passages you could ever use with somebody who is pro-choice is that, hey, I don't, you may not believe this, but let me tell you what I believe. That God knew me before there was one of my days. He knows all people before there's one of their days. And he knows how many days they have. And he knows he sees their unformed body in the womb. I mean, just take them to that passage and say, this is what I believe. So I believe you're killing a life. And we have a good demonstration back here. Little Isaiah's back here. I believe you're taking a life that God... And you just have to... You, you don't have to fight them. I don't, I don't think... I'm not a picketer. I don't think I have to go picket those things. But if somebody comes to me and wants to talk about life in the womb, it's not very hard to show that in the beginning God created life. And, and your attack is against God. So are you ready to stand up against God someday? And he said, thou shalt not murder. Because life begins a conception. God made it that way. And it's easy to show that in the Bible. So you, you're not there. Listen, you can't save anybody. You couldn't even save yourself, could you? God has to save them. So just speak the truth. Speak the truth in love. That's what we do when we handle these difficult situations. Ten, what was the most difficult situation in your, your life to trust God? Ugh. Oh, there's so many of them. I wrote down just a few. Um, <laughs> coming in here tonight. No. Um, um, I think one, one of the most difficult situations was stepping out of the working world into the full-time ministry. That was really hard for me. I had a dad that really didn't model a love for the Lord, um, but he did teach me to work hard and provide for my family. And he beat that into us, literally sometimes. <laughs> uh, um, and so to step into ministry and say, okay, God, I'm not going to lo no longer depend upon my ability to earn a living, um, even though all things come from the Father above, right? I'm going to step away from that and trust that you're going to provide for myself and my family through the ministry. Now, that we were stepping into missionary work, so that means we had to go raise support. So it was a very difficult decision for me to step off the horse in a sense. I was a cowboy at that time and say, okay, God, you want us to pastor, you want me to pastor, you want me to plant churches, and you don't want me doing this anymore. Because I was getting to the point where I couldn't serve two masters. The ministry was growing so much, and, but the work was growing too. And how do you do both? I couldn't do both, so I got to that point. It was a very hard decision. I finally, my pride had to fall before the Lord, and I, it was just a huge step of faith, like, you know, Indiana Jones, when he, he can't see there, he steps off, they're like, okay, Lord. <laughs> you feel like you're going down. But the Lord catches you, because it was His will for me to do that, and He did. He provided for us. And that was a really hard, hard um, decision to make. Um, it was my pride that God had to deal with. Um, First Timothy chapter 3 tells us that anyone who desires to be an elder has to desire the work of the ministry. See, our elders, our elders slash pastors here are here because they desire God's calling in their life to work in the ministry. They're not desiring a job. Well, great, I don't have to go to work in the morning. <laughs> no, you work harder than you ever did. So, so there's a, there's, there, those are hard, those were hard, uh, difficult decisions that had to be made. Um, one more just on that. There's a million of them I could give you. But probably one of the most difficult things I deal with regularly is watching people walk away from the faith. There's nothing that hurts more. 
family. I've watched family walk away from the faith. I've watched parents. Um, and of course, the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that they went out from us because they were never a part of us. And, and they, they, they acted like they were Christians. They had the outward Christian dress. You know, they knew the Christian talk. They could show up and do all that. But in the end, they never had victory over their sins. Christ never gave them victory over sin. And in the end, they leave. And there's nothing that breaks a shepherd's heart than to lose a, a lamb. And again, they're more goats at that point. God still has the right to save them. But it hurts. It hurts. Every time somebody leaves the church, every time somebody abandons the faith and says, you know what, I don't believe in this, I'm going to go do what I want to do, there's nothing that rips the heart of a pastor than that. Um, and, you know, we've experienced that in our own families. Um, my wife's father, um, one of our sons, is really, we don't think he's in the faith. And it just, there's nothing more hard than that, I promise you. And, um, and yet, yet, the story's not written, Right? And so we pray, we beg God, and we're examples. And anytime we get an opportunity, we speak the gospel into those people's lives. A lot, lot more on that we could talk about. Eleven, what would you do if a friend claims to be saved but shows no fruit? Good question. Um, something you have to be careful of, that you're not a fruit inspector all the time. Um, that gets to be legalism. But certainly there are, uh, I just want to say this, there's some times of barrenness in a Christian's life. Have you had any bar- anybody barrenness? That means you didn't have much fruit. You were just kind of not walking like you should. We probably all suffer that from time to time. Um, there's times we're just not trusting the Lord. But those should be less than more, right? That's, that's not should be the mark of a Christian. A Christian should bear fruit. And let me tell you why. You need to get this down. To say you're a Christian but you have no fruit mocks. Jesus Christ. Now you say, well, what what is that mocking Jesus? Because Jesus has the power to change your life. And if there's no change and yet you say you've been changed, you're mocking Jesus. And, And so we believe once saved, always changing. I know you maybe have heard once saved, always saved. And certainly that's true. That's the grace of God that does that. But for us in a practical way, once saved, always changing always growing learning to bear fruit in our lives do you bear fruit in your life if somebody comes along and they're they're longing they're hungering for god's word god's truth the presence of jesus christ when they come along your tree is there anything to pick off of it well there's a shriveled up apple from camp 2017 that's all i got i got nothing Man, there should be something on that tree. There should be something. With G- they come along and they can taste. In fact, when fruits in season, we lived in what was called the salad bowl um, in Hollister, California. And when the celery got ripe or, or, or um, the strawberries or whatever else got ripe, as you're just driving, you had your window down, you could smell it. You're going, oh man, the strawberries are just about ripe. You could smell it. See, there's, there's fruit produces flavor, right? You can smell nothing like putting your nose up to a pineapple and go, oh my goodness, this thing's ready to go. I mean, we know this, right? You smell fruit. You smell a cantaloupe. Um, I mean, there's, there's something. But, but it all starts first with a blossom, right? If there's blossoms there, oh, hey, something's coming. And then from there, there's a bud. And, and then, there's, then there's a little hard fruit. It's not very good right now. But it's coming. It's coming because you're obeying the Lord. You're staying within the fence that he set you in. It's coming and eventually it ripens. So kids, is there fruit in your life? Has anybody come along and taste Jesus from you? 
I mean, that's a great question for kids, adults, anyone. Can they taste Jesus in you? Or is it just bittered, old, you know, dried up apple from years ago? So do you, do you have fruit? See, Romans chapter 6 really addresses this. A lot of people say, you know, well, look, we, we believe in Jesus, you know, and yet they just keep sinning. And the Bible says, how can you, who have died with Jesus, continue in sin? How can that be possible? It's impossible. You're mocking Jesus. You're mocking Him. Like, oh, Jesus, you have the power to change lives, but you didn't change mine. No, He changes you, kids. Don't, don't buy into that. And, and, and yet, at the same time, one of the great fruits, and I want you to hear this, one of the great fruits in your life is realizing that you're not producing fruit. Because <laughs> an unsaved person never realizes that. A saved person goes... I am not very fruitful. I'm in, a, I'm in a fruitless season right now. Oh, God, help me. I'm become a me monster again. I, I'm just consumed with idols and things that are in my life. Oh, Lord, I need to repent and turn from this. I want to be productive for you. That's, that, see, that's the difference. That's a fruitful life that God gives us. 13, uh, oh, no, 12. How, how do you introduce Christ in a conversation with non-believers? Listen, there's no better person in this room than Pastor Bobby standing right there. And here's what I would do. If you ask, ask this question or you would like, if you would like to understand this question so I can move on a little bit here, is I would get up after this class and I'd go to ask Pastor Bobby and say, can I get some of my friends and you, can you teach us how to co- have conversation, conversational evangelism? I would get my friends and I would go meet that man and I'd say, when can we meet with you? Sorry, Bobby, giving you extra time, <laughs> things to do. But I would go, Bobby, can you, Pastor Bobby, can you teach me and my friends how we can learn to talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus with our friends? There's nobody better than that. Can I say something? Yes. In about three weeks, I will be teaching conversational oh. <laughs> I didn't know that. This is yeah, unashamed plug here. I, I have, I, have, I spend a lot of time with that man right there, and there's not a place we go where he does not engage somebody with the gospel. Hey, he's actually my hero in this, okay? I want you to know. So, but what he does very well is he listens very closely to what they're saying. He's listening to this unbeliever talk, and then he's looking for an opportunity where this person says something. Remember I talked about where my cowboy friend used the Lord's name in vain, and I wrote him and go, hey, do you know Jesus? Oh, I just heard you use his name in vain, so I thought I'd come over and ask you. That's conversational business. You got into a conversation. What are you talking about? Oh, you, you, I, I thought you were just talking about my Savior. You know, so you're looking for opportunities when they say things. And you can say, you know, the Bible says something about this. This is one of the things I use. Um, I didn't learn this from Bobby, but this is the way he does it too. When I'm in a conversation with somebody, they're always talking about something. They're talking about death, life, COVID, um, marriage, uh, you know, sex. I mean, they're all talking about something. And the Bible talks about all that stuff. So I'm always going, hey, hey, you know the Bible says something about that? And they go, really? The Bible talks about sex? Yeah, talks about it. That God created. And I'm right into a conversation. They go, really? I didn't know the Bible. I thought the Bible was just about all this other stuff. You know, don't do this, don't do that. So I'm right in a conversation with them. You, but you got to know your Bible. You can't say the Bible says, well, what does it say? Well, I don't know. I don't read it. <laughs> You've got to read your Bible, right? 
So if you want to be in conversational evangelism, you have to know your Bible. So this is what this is about. Study the Bible. Come to church. Um, be in a small group. Read your Bible personally. Be ready to answer those questions because God will let you do that. And don't compromise your life because it'll take away what you teach. Verse thir- no, number 13. What's the best way to start studying the Bible consistently? Simply, um, uh, let's see. Let me pick on somebody. Um, 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 okay, Mia. I haven't picked on you lately. Um, <laughs> So, me and I have a volleyball team we're on, and we play volleyball together. Um, but I don't know what it is. So, I say, Mia, when, when is the date and time and place of our game? And so, Mia tells me, what's well, it's this time. So, let me tell you this. If you want to have consistent, make a place, a time, and a date when you're going to read the Bible. You've got to figure that out. You've got to say, here's what my schedule looks like. Here's my time. What did I say? My time, t- time, place, the time, date, and place, right? So here's the time, date, and place. 6.30, my kitchen table, my Bible open, my pencil to mark my Bible, my glasses so I can actually see it, are sitting there every morning. That's my time, date, and place. You're welcome to come. 6.30. That's my, I had to make that into my life. Because you know what? I have a lot of things going on. I have sermons waiting, hours of studying to be able to, to teach at the level we teach at here. I've got to study, study, study. I've got to counsel. I've got all these things going on. I had to make a time, date, and place. Do you have a time, date, and place to meet with the Lord? Do you have that yet? Because I promise, if you don't have a time, date, and place, you're not going to meet up. You're going to miss the game, right? I had to call Mia and say, when's the game? She told me, time, date, and place. I go, hey, I'm there. God's saying, time, date, and place. When are we going to meet? When are we going to get together? When are you going to know more about me? All right, so do you have a time, date, and place? That's a good answer for that. What is your favorite book of the Bible you to preach out of? 14, whatever I'm currently in. I, I don't know how to answer that. I mean, oh, there's 66 of them. I love them all. Right now, I really love Leviticus and 1 Corinthians. I, I love the book of John. I love Genesis. I mean, there's certain books I really love to teach and I go back to. But I really, that's where I'm studying. I'm pouring into the last three verses of chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians so I can preach a Sunday about boasting in Jesus. And you're, you're going to hear a sermon on Sunday that I'm going to come out of my boots on about boasting in my Lord. And you better get ready to come out of the boots with me after coming off a of camp. He is glorious. And He's worth boasting about. So we're going to talk about that. And then guess what we're going to do after I preach? We're going to take the Lord's table together. We're going to boast that he bodily died for us and bled for us. We're going to boast before the Lord. We're going to do that Sunday. Are you coming? Are you going to sit down front so I can see your smiling faces again and encourage your pastor? All right. Um, So whatever book I'm in. uh, 15. Who was your most encouraging friend in life and why? Well, I'll give you the Sunday school answer. Jesus. (laughs) He really has been a friend to me. Um, he He is a friend of sinners. Oh, him wrote. Jesus, a friend of sinners. And so he's been my friend. But the next one is, of course, Gina Lee over here, Miss Gina. She's um, been my friend for 33. How many years have we known each other? 33 and a half years married. Two and a half, yeah, whatever. Um, so she's been my best friend. And um, we confide in everybody. And we challenge each other. And we tell each other what we're learning and, and what we're reading. And. And we, we confess our sins to each other. There's no better friend than 
than Jesus, and then he gives you people like Miss Gina in your life, and he'll give that to you. If you're a great friend of Jesus, guess what he's going to give you? Other friends of Jesus. But if you're not a good friend of Jesus, you're going to find friends of maybe Satan. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, if you're not a friend of Jesus, you're in a lot of trouble. So first be friends with Jesus. If he walks in the door, is he going to come sit with you? Or does he not know who you are? I mean, you've got to answer that question. Is, are, do you have good friendship with Jesus? Um, next, I would answer in this verse, in the number 15, I'd say God gave me a lot of great men- mentors. Um, uh, I, I've had mentors all through my life. Godly men, unfortunately not my father. Uh, my father has never been a very faithful Christian. Um, I pray for him. I hope he's saved. But he's always struggled. So he was never a spiritual uh, mentor to me. So God gave me a lot of other men, pastors and missionaries and men that loved Jesus and taught me how to study the Bible and taught me how to walk without compromising for the glory of God and for joy in my life. And so you've got to have somebody like that. Does anybody have a mentor in mind that they would like to spend time with them? Go and ask that person if you can spend time with them. Get people in your life that Lord love the Lord and will spend time with you. 16, how old were you when you were saved? And what's your testimony? I was six years old. And that's a rarity, I think, for true salvation. Um, let me say this. All of my brothers, there's four of us boys, two girls in my family. All of them confessed Jesus Christ at very young ages. All of them got saved later, 20s, 30s, 40s. But for some reason, I give all the glory to God. At six years old, God opened my mind to who he was, and he saved me. And I I thank the Lord for that. I'm very, very grateful that he saved me. I didn't deserve it. Um, But he opened my eyes, and um, I... I know he saved me. Now, was I perfect from then on? No, I went through the junior high and high school years, had some struggles, dealt with pride, was an athlete, had all the things come with that. I was a me monster, you know, at times. So, but God saved me. And, uh, and I'm very thankful for this. And what, what came about, how it came about, they asked the question, how? Um, Sunday morning, it was Sunday morning, our pastor, I'm mean, six years old, I'm in church. Okay, I wasn't off to children's church. There wasn't such a thing back in those days. Um, I'm six year old sitting in church and the pastor's teaching on the holiness of God. At six, I understood that God was holy. And I didn't know much about it, but I knew that meant he's absent of evil and he's perfect. And then I was laying in bed Sunday night, raining on an October night. Can't remember the exact date. We're talk- that question came, comes up later. And I remember going, if God is holy, I'm in trouble. Mm. Because I'm not. My dad had left on a trip. He worked for Pirelli Tire. He was traveling around the world, selling tires, doing whatever he did. And it was Sunday night. He was already gone. And I walked out. My mom was sitting on... I remember she was sitting on the couch. She was on the right side sitting there. And I walked up and I said, Mom, if God's holy, I'm going to hell. I'm six years old. And she said, well, how, how are you going to fix that? And I said, well, I think Jesus died for me. And she led me to the Lord right there. And my salva- I never doubted my salvation. Because Jesus did it. I've doubted me, (laughs) because I was a me monster at times, right? Um, But he saved me, and I praise the Lord for that. Do you know when God saved you? There's another question here that says, do you have to have a date? Um, I don't have an exact date. I I do know it was in October. It was a Sunday evening. It was raining. So I think you should know that there's some kind of 
experience, a true experience that took place where you confessed your sins. You confessed that you were a sinner and you did not deserve the grace of God. You should know a time, an area where that happened. Because you can't be someone who said, well, God rescued me, but I don't know when. Right? You, listen, put it, we put it this way. You can't say, I was blind and all of a sudden I could see and you don't know when that was. You should know that. Here's another example. You're on the car. Your car flips over. You're drowning in a pond in Florida with gators in it. And somebody dives in there, kicks your window, and pulls you out. You would certainly would have died. Would you remember that date? And would you remember who rescued you? And want to be friends with that person? Well, I mean, think about the eternality. God, God sent his son. He dove into the earth. And he came here and died for our sins and rescues. You should know close to that time when God opened your eyes. At six, I can't remember dates. I do remember the night. I remember it was raining and I remember it was on a Sunday night. Um, And uh, you should really think through that and want to be able to give your testimony to others someday. What's your favorite book in the Bible to preach out? Did we answer this already? Sorry, um, 17. How do you handle people of the LGBTQ and a lot of other numbers probably later, um, that ask you questions about God. Well, this is a hard question, isn't it, in today's society, especially for youth, if you're dealing with it high school and um, stuff that's going on. Um, you may not, may not have this in your family. You may have it in your family. I don't know. But um, for me, if you want to ask me, first of all, most of them are afraid to talk to me. Um, and there's some reasons why uh, that one is they don't want to hear what I have to say. So most people who are living in total abject rejection of God, because that's what the Bible says, that it's wrong, don't want to hear it. What they want to hear is somehow for you to justify it. And there's plenty of pastors and churches that are justifying it now because they'd rather have people in their church than not there. They want the money. Putting butts in the seats is real important to churches. It's a business. Not at Riverbend. But it's a business in a lot of churches. So business trumps the Bible. So what churches are doing now is they're, they're changing what they believe or what they say they believe in order to open up because God just loves everyone and God, is, God wants them all in. He accepts everybody. No, He doesn't. He doesn't, kids. And God makes us the way we are. And again, there are, there are struggles in this world, but we should be gracious but direct. I, I, I don't know how to tell you that. I, I, I think some people, later there's a question is, well, how do we not scare them off? You know, or, or how do we not offend them? Look, the Bible offends sinners. You can't rewrite the Bible. You, I, I had a dear friend who, did, he didn't believe in God. He was going to show that the Bible was, was wrong, so he took his scissors to the Bible, and he was going to cut out every part that he didn't believe. He didn't get very far, and he got saved. Because he started reading the Bible. So he had part of his Bible all cut up. In the end, he goes, wait a minute. The world just changes their views on all this stuff all the time. The Bible is always right. So look, I know maybe some of you have some folks that have been caught in homosexuality. Or they're struggling with gender in those issues. You should be gracious, but you should be direct. You can't beat around the bush on this kids. Uh, this is too, this, this is Satan's trapped right now. He's trapping people and he's going he's gonna to trap them so deeply so they can never get back to God on this. You have to be direct. You might be the only person in their life that says 
uh, I think that's wrong, according to the Bible. Everybody's, oh, he's so great. You're really being you. You know, oh, let's embrace it. Let's celebrate. And one person says, uh, no. God, the Bible says that he created a male and female. He knows them before they're born. God doesn't make mistakes. I don't want to hurt you. I'm not here to hurt you. I want to be gracious. But you believe in a lot. See, somebody has to say that. Who else is going to tell them if it's not you? You have to be willing to lose friends. Are you willing to be persecuted? Because this is where persecution is going to come from, right? They're coming after Riverbend Community Church someday. They're going to try to take our 5013C. That means that if your parents write checks to the church, they won't get a tax reduction deduction from it. Um, they'll go after that first, and then they'll start to go after pastors, and then eventually they'll imprison pastors, then they'll take properties. That's what they'll do. This is what it's happened in China, it happens in Russia, it's happening all over. It's just going to get here eventually. And they find a social issue that they can persuade the rest of the world to believe in, so they make us look like we're hating people. And they're going to, here's what they're going to do, kids they're going to call it a hate crime. That's what they're going to say. When actually we're the only ones speaking about the love of God. So listen, kids, I know this is hard, but the Bible teaches in Genesis 1:27, God, He made them male and female. Psalms 139, He knows everything about them. Jesus got in on this. Matthew chapter 19, 4 and 5. He answered and said, Have you not read? Talking about the Bible, that he who created from the beginning made them male and female. He did not make a mistake when he chose what you would be, boys and girls, young men, young women in this room. He did not make a mistake. You may have fallen into sin and your mind is being confused and you're letting sin drive your decisions. But God did not make a mistake here. And then Jesus says this. Um, he made them male and female. He said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father male, his mother female, and be joined to his wife female, and the two male and female shall become one. The Bible is full of this language. And to wipe out gender is an attack on God. Don't let it happen. You're gonna, your guys are going to pay for it. I promise you, if you want to stand for Jesus, it'll cost you. The Bible says those who stand for Jesus will be persecuted in this world. And so this is a tough one on you guys. Us in our generation, yeah, go ahead, kill me. I'm 56. I want to go to heaven anyway. <laughs> you guys are young. And you're going to lose grades for it. You're going to lose friends for it. You could lose family members over this. This you, it's, God's asking you to take this on. Stand for God. Is He worthy of standing for Him? We're gonna, you're going to hear me from the pulpit. You're going to hear our church stand from this. We're going to stand. But we, we need you out there at the public schools, in the Christian schools, the home schools, wherever this is happening, at ball fields, saying that that's not what God's Word says. And speak the truth. Do gracious and kindly. But don't compromise. Somebody will be really lost. And one day, imagine somebody, I don't know if this will happen, but sometimes I think about this. What if Bob, who thought he was Billy, um, <laughs> is in heaven and, I mean, is in hell, getting judged to go to hell, and he sees me and he says, Why didn't you tell me about this? Why didn't you tell me about Jesus? I don't think that'll happen, but I think about that sometimes. I don't want Billy Bob to think that I didn't say, That's not what God's word says. In fact, Jesus died for your sinful thinking. 
for your sinful thinking. All right? These are, these are big time questions. Romans 1. Write this down. You've got to go read Romans 1, 18 through the end of the chapter on this. It deals with this. This was happening in the first century church. People exchanging what God made for them for something else. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's a great statement. The word suppress, I'm going to press down God's truth. I'm going to reject God's truth because I want to do what I want to do. That's what they're doing, kids. Whether they understand that or not, you can't do that. You can't do it. Stand for Jesus. If you love Him, stand for Him. You might be alone. You might find yourself alone. But He's worth standing for. Big, big time question, whoever asked that. Um, 18. How old were you when you first heard the gospel? Probably since I was born. And I pray our children did too. I had little baby Brantley on my lap the other day and I was sharing the gospel with him. And he's mad. He just wants his mom to eat. But I, I thought, Brantley, I, I can't wait till we can talk about Jesus. As I was holding him. I can't wait to tell you that he died for your sins. Talk about it. You know, that's what we do. We love the Lord Jesus. So I started hearing, my mom played the organ. You remember that thing? Okay. Uh, I was raised with those. Um, so we sat on the third row back right side there were seven seats in the pew that we at our church and were seven of us at that time as before my little sister was born um so there was five kids and my mom and dad we sat there (laughs) and we were there sunday night sunday morning sunday morning sunday night wednesday night we never missed and there was a faithful pastor who preached the gospel there and um and i heard the gospel as far back as i can remember my mom shared the gospel with me as far back as i can remember I hope when you get married that you'll share the gospel with your children as soon as they can hear it. As soon as they can hear it. That's what we need more of. Um, 19, we got to quit. Here's another one on the same subject. I might have covered this. What would you do if you met someone in the LGBTQ community who has changed the pronouns? This is a good one. Change the pronouns. Um, opposite gender, they, them, and whatever. Um, would you call them by their God-given gender of the ones... They were given them, or the ones they're given themselves. Be and then this, they put this in there because you, you don't want to offend them by calling them of the original gender, but you don't want to agree with their sin. This this goes right back to us saying, I think I kind of answered this already. God's word is offensive to sinners. If you want to sugarcoat God's word, you're going to have to change it. <laughs> and, and the Bible warns if you mess with God's word. Fires of hell are waiting for you. So don't mess with God's word. So listen, kids, the Bible is offensive. It offends you as a sinner. You go like, well, I'm not a sinner. I didn't kill anybody. You're a sinner. In fact, here's how bad it is. You were born a sinner. You were conceived in sin. That's what David said. So look, the word of God is offensive, guys. And I know you're trying to be nice to your to your gay friends or whatever it is. But look, if you're going to tell them what the Bible says, you can't. So I could never, you know, call... Give me a turn, you know, Billy, Bob. I can't do that. You're Bob. You were born Bob. <laughs> you're, 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 you're rejecting God, Bob. I know you don't want to hear that, but I love you enough. I'm the only one in this whole place that will tell you. You're Bob. You, you have to speak the truth to him, guys. You can't. But, but you've got to include the gospel, right? Say, Bob, Jesus died for you. I was born this way. I was born a liar and a sinner. So we're all sinners. So Jesus died for that. You, you want to mock God? You, you want to take Him on? Because that's what you're doing. Because God created you just like you are. 
He chose you to be male or female. And if you don't like it, you've got to take it up with Him. And so, kids, the Bible's offensive. It really is. Jesus offended everybody as they went along, right? How many, how many were with Jesus when He died? The Bible says He died alone. I mean, he had thieves on the other side, but all His disciples left Him, right? A life of Christ sometimes can be alone. I remember there were times as a young man, like, man, I'm out of friends. <laughs> they all kind of said, uh, yeah, Scott, forget you. There was a time in my high school where God was really getting hold of me and was calling me into ministry, and I lost friend after friend after friend when I stood up for things that were going on in the locker room. I said, hey, I can't do this, guys. Come on, man. Some of you in here say you're Christians. You're talking about girls that way? You know, you're talking about doing this and that after the game. I, I, guys, I can't do it, man. I love you, man. I love playing ball with you guys, but I can't go there with you. Man, that was it. Out the pizza by myself. <laughs> That's what happens sometimes. But Jesus didn't leave me. And he gave me Gina, and he's given me a ton of friends now, and he rewards you with that. Don't compromise. Do it graciously and loving. I know I'm out of time, aren't I? Man, I, I got halfway. It's not even halfway yet. You're not even halfway yet. Because my life loves me, let's do 20. How do you minister to someone who agrees with LBGQ and lives in a Christian home? My friend doesn't understand why it's wrong and agrees with guys wearing dresses. Well, quite frankly, your friend doesn't know the Bible. Your friend doesn't know the Bible. Let me just show you one verse here. There's a ton of this I could show you. But, you know, God created... Um, what's the word when girls are girly? Feminine. Feminine. That's the word I was after. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> masculine. Thank you, Jonathan. So, God created masculinity, and he created feminine, femininity. Okay? Yeah, put a bunch of M's and I's together, and that's what you get. Do you believe that? Yes. God, and look, someone said, uh, they try to twist Genesis 1 around a lot. But that's such an attack on God's word. Here, here's, here's what we believe in the Bible. God created us male and female because just males would not have shown his glory. Just females would not have shown his glory. So he created us male and female that we would be the image bearer. Just males alone could not solely be the image bearer of God. Just females alone could not just be bearers of the image of God. So he created male and female to be image bearers of God. You see how important that is? If you take away one and say, I don't want to be that one, I want to be that, you've robbed God of his glory. Now, God created, girls, you to be feminine. That's what he wants you to be. That's a part of how that displays his glory. He is a God of beauty, isn't it? So it's not wrong for to dress up and, you know, and comb your hair. You should look in the mirror every once in a while, guys. Uh, you should. But, you know, but that's okay as long as you're not worshiping it, right? The, we, the adults like it when I say this. If the barn needs paint, put something on it. The kids don't always understand that comment. Um, that means there's no paint. You know, never mind. First um, Peter chapter 3. Look at this. I know. I just this verse just kind of came to me this week as I was answering these questions, and I just got. Oh, I know. This talks about this in here. So, First Peter three is about a godly woman who submits to her husband, even though he does bad things to her. But she loves the Lord, and she wants to win her husband. And so he starts talking about biblical femininity 
and how a woman glorifies God. But notice in verse 3, verse 2 he says, let, their, let them observe your chaste and respectful behavior. So a woman has a chaste. This means she's, she's not immoral. She, she, is, she, she pursues purity in her life, right? But look at verse 3. He says, let your ador- uh, excuse me, your adornment must not be, the Bible gives you a little bit of a help with this word, this Greek word here, merely external. Now let me talk about that. Ladies, what the Bible is saying is it's not wrong to dress up, to show what God has given you in a right way. Did I say that right? Um, I, I like it when my wife looks nice. I really enjoy it. She's a beautiful woman. I'm so grateful God gave her. I really like that. I think that God glorifies God. You know, if she wakes up every morning and looks in the mirror, ah, yeah, I'd probably go, honey, uh, you know. Uh, uh, you know, if God's given to you, you should probably use it, you know. Uh, Gina's going to, uh, I'm in trouble, I'm in trouble. Right now. now, on the other end, you knew I had to end with trouble, didn't I? On the end, other end of this is God says, don't let your existence be only that. Girls, it is not wrong to go and pick out nice stuff and dress up. I mean, that's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you are, is the dress, and there's nothing in the heart, you're in a lot of trouble. You're really empty. So Peter is saying that women, it's okay to do this. And notice he says some things here. It says not merely external, braiding of hair, wearing of gold jewelry, or putting on... Is somebody, did anybody got their Bibles up in here? What's the last word? Dresses. He's talking to women, not men. <laughs> men, you don't wear dresses. We wear jeans and most of the time shorts in Florida. It, it's given to women to dress like women. You, you've rejected what God has given you. Now he, she, now he goes on, and there's a next question coming up, but he talks about why a woman is beautiful to God. He says, but let it be the hidden person of the heart. See, it's more, it, what he's saying, it's more than the braids. It's more than the jewelry. It's more than the dresses. There's a hidden person of the heart that God loves. He, he's not saying it's wrong to dress up and take care of the body God has given you. Brush your hair, you know, brush your teeth, go to the dentist every once in a while. Guys, use some deodorant, you know, things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But he says, look, he loves the hidden person of the heart. That's imperishable. That means that can't go away. Guess what? You get old. I have wrinkles. Look how gray this beard is. It wasn't gray when I started it. <laughs> it's gray now. I'm changing. I'm getting old. I'm getting shorter. I'm, I'm compacting. <laughs> I don't like it. I'd like to stretch myself back out, but I can't. Uh, this is the way it goes. So, but does God still love Scott's heart? Yes. That's what he sees. So, girls and guys, it cannot be about the outside, but he does have dress for each one of you, right? Here, he doesn't mind that you braid your hair and that you wear jewelry and you wear a nice dress. He doesn't mind that. He says, but just don't let that be the only thing. Let your heart be precious to him. And there's some great things in here. Look at this verse 5, and I'll quit, because Hayward's got his guitar on, and that means I'm done. He says, the hidden person of the heart, which is imperishable, of gentle, quiet spirit, which is precious to God. That's a beautiful thing, ladies. Don't give that up. Verse 5, for in this way, former times, the holy women also, now here's why they're holy, who hoped in God. 
And they dressed or adorned themselves with submission to their own husbands and not living out there for every other guy. I mean, think about that's what God said is precious. I mean, guys putting on dresses can't be any more wrong. And guess what the world's doing? They're pushing this drag queen, drag queen thing constantly. And if you're in the public school, it's coming in your material. They're putting it in your material in the public school. And they're going to bring drag queens into your school and you're going to have to praise them or they're going to mark you for that. And that's rejection of God completely. Kids, this is serious stuff. And I, and I hope some of you junior hires are going, man, I, I just want to go out and play ball or something. You're a Christian. This is life here on this earth. We walk with Jesus in good times and difficult times. And, and I think these questions were excellent. I think what happened this last week is many of you in this room started wrestling with your true walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And you said, wow, I'm starting to compromise in some areas. So I got halfway. Does that mean I have to come back? Okay. All right, I'll come back. Um, let's pray. And then, hey, did he do? There's a form of persecution forming outside the door. So, uh, so we're done. Let's wrap it up. Okay, so let me pray. I'm sorry. That's my fault. I really thought I was going to get through 40. Who believed I was going to get through 40? Does anybody believe? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see that hand. Yeah, Aaron getting through a camp prep meeting. Hey, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's give God attention for five more minutes, five more seconds here. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for letting us be on your team. Lord, we would not have been on your team. We would have been on the losing team if you would not come and save us. And so, Lord, thank you for saving us. Help us love you enough to be different, to bear fruit in our lives, to show that you've changed us, Lord. I pray for these young people in this room, Lord. Give them boldness to live for Jesus, to walk with him, not compromise. Speak the truth with grace and love, but speak the truth. Lord, raise up from this room a generation of young people, young men and young women who are unashamed of the gospel. Lord, help them, Lord. Lord, we need them. The church needs them, Lord. Please give them strength. Help them to ask the Holy Spirit for strength to understand the Bible and to apply it to their lives, Lord. Give them quiet time. May they pick a time, place and, and where they can sit down with Jesus each and every day and read. Lord, Lord, strengthen them. Thank you for youth group. Thank you for Riverbend Youth, Lord. Do great things here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.